Thank you for joining us on the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast, a podcast of preaching and teaching from the ministries at Fellowship Baptist Church. Fellowship Baptist Church exists to gather, grow, give, and go for the glory of God. In this passage, we hear Paul talk about the, the call of God and how God calls people in chapter 9, and then those people respond to that call by confessing with their mouth and believing in, in their heart that Jesus is Lord, and he says all that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, and then in verse, 13, uh, verse 14, we read these words. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And if you would flip over to Isaiah in chapter 52, we have to see Isaiah prophesy. And this is the context of Paul's quote on the beautiful feet. In verse 1, it says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garment, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and rise. Be seated, O Jerusalem, loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? The rulers will wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore... In that day they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen lift up their voice, together they sing with joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, your waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people and has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall, shall see the salvation of our God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that you would, through your word, Transform us into people that would desire to go and to make known your glory among all the peoples of the earth. We pray that all the peoples of the earth would see that you reign, that your goodness and worth and might and beauty are worth giving up everything and following after. We pray, Lord, that the name of Jesus would come out of our lips into the ears of those who do not hear you, that they might hear and believe and call on your name and that you might save them. 
we pray, Lord, that you would send us out with a heart, a deep desire, celebrating what you have done for us by sharing the good news of the gospel with the lost and dying of this world. Lord, they so desperately need you. We so desperately need you. We need you to take over our lives and transform us so that we would go and tell about the good news of your salvation to the ends of the earth. We and of ourselves will be selfish and scared, and we need you, Lord, to uh, help us to not be selfish but selfless and to not be scared of man but to fear the Lord in all of his ways. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. What comes into your mind when you hear the word beautiful? It, it might be when you think of something that is truly beautiful, you think of a sunset, some kind of uh, natural phenomenon where you are out in nature and you just think this is beautiful or amazing. It may be a song or a piece of music that's been written. And when you hear it, it's not just that it's a decent song. It's not just that it's a good song. It's not just a song that you like to sing along with, but it's actually beautiful. It, it, it stirs your, your emotions. Uh, uh, there are a lot of different options. When it comes to the idea of beauty, and, and there is that, that saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But what's common when we talk about beauty, what's normal when we talk about beauty, is the experience that we feel when we're in the presence of something beautiful, right? There's something distinct about the very presence of being in some, in, uh, around beauty that takes us and transforms us, and, and, and we want to live differently in light of that. We want to be different people because of the beauty that we see and how it makes us feel. True beauty makes us feel small in this world at times. It makes us feel like there's something greater than ourselves out there. True beauty makes us seek after it. It not only calls us once, but it calls us back again to beauty. It, it connects us to something deep within ourselves, deep within this world, deep into the very presence of God himself. Because we know that all beauty comes from the beautiful creator who made all things well, who calls all of his creation good, who, who didn't just make this world functional and ordered, and that is good, but not only made it functional and ordered, but made it beautiful. It expresses the very nature of this God. True beauty comes from the mind of our creator. And we as his image bearers see and experience when we see any kind of beautiful thing or hear any kind of beautiful music, we experience a glimmer of the greatness of the beauty of our God. And here in these passages, both in Romans and Isaiah 52, we we see what the Lord calls beautiful and its feet. Now, I don't know about you, but when I usually think about feet, I don't write songs about its beauty. There are probably not many poets that, that speak about feet a lot. Many of you probably don't like to see other people's feet. You may not even like to see your own feet. You know, feet are not something that we think about when we think about beauty, right? Not typically. We think about other things, but here, 
the Lord talks about the beautiful feet of those who carry the good news. And if you think about the culture of ancient Hebrew and the, the culture of the time of the Romans, feet were especially dirty because of the shoes that they wore, right? They didn't have socks and shoes like we do, and they, they didn't walk around on paved sidewalks where there's not much dirt. Now, they walked around through desert lands, and so your feet got really nasty, really ugly. So to carry something a long distance, to be a messenger to take news from one place to another, was to have dirty, disgusting feet. It, it, you can even uh, imagine as the disciples... Um, uh, are unwilling to wash each other's feet, Jesus bends down and washes their feet instead. One of the reasons they didn't want to do that is like, this is a lowly thing for a servant to do, to wash somebody else's feet, because this is not a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture. And yet, here, it is the Lord who says, this is beautiful. What the world thinks is dirty or lowly or beneath them, something that we wouldn't touch, the Creator calls beautiful. God sees things very differently than how we see things. And so why is it that the Lord of all the earth, the Creator, who's made everything beautiful, calls the feet of those who carry the good news beautiful? Why does He do that? Why is it such a beautiful thing to carry the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so today I want us to look at that and to think about that when it comes to the mission of God, when it comes to taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth, when it comes to sharing the good news with neighbors and especially, as we focus on that these next few weeks, with the nations, why is it that this is such a beautiful thing to do? And so today I want us to recognize and understand and take this central idea in ourselves. When we carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, we join with God in creating beauty. That you get to partner with your creator. When you carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, you are helping and becoming a part of God doing the work of making all things beautiful, of recreating a broken world that is full of sin, sinners, and selfishness, and remaking it so that it is a beautiful, amazing thing. That is what God is inviting you to do, to join in with Him as His, as his image bearers, but greater than that, as His children, as His people. He's inviting you to join with Him in the mission to make the world reflect the beauty of who he is by sharing the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And so today I want to talk to you mostly from this Isaiah 52 passage about the benefits, the beautiful benefits of carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. And there is a lot here, but I want to point out six beautiful benefits that I see that Isaiah says that I think Paul is has in his mind as he quotes this. Many times New Testament writers, when they quote an Old Testament verse, they'll usually include in their minds the context. They may mention a, a verse that's popular within this, uh, within this passage, but they mean to, to draw your mind to the totality of the passage. So I think that's what Paul is doing here, is, is saying something about the, the beauty of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And I think there are six beautiful benefits of carrying.
carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. The first one is victory. And I think we see that here in, in verse 4 in particular. Well, since the day the snake slithered into the garden, there has been a war going on between God and these demonic powers. And Isaiah here describes two enemies, Egypt and Assyria. Now, we remember Egypt enslaved the people of God for many hundreds of years, and it was through Moses' work and, and the great miracles that God gave him that he, the people were rescued. But Assyria also pops up as well. Assyria is a great enemy of Israel, will actually come in and take Israel out of the land and take many of the tribes and take them away from the land of the people. So these are seen, and they're pictures of demonic powers that have enslaved and captured and come after and declared war on God's people. That's what I think is being pictured here. And we as God's people, though our enemies are not a nation called Egypt or a nation called Assyria, do have enemies. But our enemies are not flesh and blood people, are they? Because we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, things that are even greater than any kind of nation that could come about. We're not even warring against the people that reject the gospel or reject us when we bring the gospel to them, or persecute us as we share the gospel to the ends of the earth, or would take our lives and hurt our families. We are not at war against them either. We are actually on their side. We wrestle against Satan and against sin. And our battle, our armaments are not politics. Our armaments are not military might. See, what we war with is the very word of God, where if we would just simply speak that word of God to the very ends of the earth, God would create a victory over a lost and dying world. See, Satan's power has no ability to stop God's word. And so what we are celebrating as we are going and sharing the gospel, a beautiful picture, a beautiful, lovely, great thing that comes out of sharing the gospel is this mighty victory that God is going to bring about. See, when we carry the gospel to the very ends of the earth, Satan and sin and death itself are defeated because the battle has already been won by the death and resurrection of Jesus in our place. He has died on a cross. He has been resurrected to life. He has crushed the head of the serpent through pierced feet. And now as his people, we go and declare victory. We say that he has won. We go to a lost and dying world and show them how they can be redeemed and brought back and saved. And we declare victory to the ends of the earth. If we would simply go, victory would happen. And so as you are considering the calling of God on your life to take the gospel to neighbors and especially to nations, would you remember in your mind that one of the beautiful benefits of bringing that gospel across the street or across an ocean is that God will win a victory, an amazing victory. See, we might, through our military might, our strategies, our nuclear power, 
be able to force a nation into submission. We might be able to scare them enough or beat them back enough that they would submit to us or our laws or anything like that, but we cannot change minds and hearts, can we? In fact, if we remember some of uh, the battle on terror, the war on terror, one of the things they wanted to do was to win the minds and hearts of people, right? And it seems like they were supremely unsuccessful because we didn't go with the right armaments. We brought a message of maybe uh, freedom and democracy, but what we didn't bring and what ultimately transforms the heart is the message of the gospel. It is the gospel that wins the victory, maybe not over a national political uh, uh, entity, but it does win the victory over the hearts and minds of people that we're going to. And so we have the beauty of the gospel is the victory that comes to us. The second thing that we see is freedom that comes as we share the gospel. Look at verse 2. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Notice that it's, uh, it's like a chain is wrapped around their neck. Uh, uh, a vice is wrapped around their neck. He calls them captive daughters. And he says, shake yourself from the dust and arise and be seated. There's freedom that comes when we share the good news of the gospel. And we know from Romans 6 that the whole world has been enslaved to sin, that we are born with a sin desire and we are enslaved to sin. That means that we are unable to do good. That means we are unable to worship God. That means we are unable to obey the commands that God gives us. We are unable to experience the real happiness that can come from being in the very presence of God. Slavery to sin creates horrible things and it perverts the very beauty of God. We've seen that a lot this month. In the celebration of pride. And how what is to be considered beautiful has been perverted and changed and turned on itself. But what does the gospel do? When we share the gospel, it frees people. It frees people that know, that don't even know that they're enslaved. It frees people that don't even know that they're dying in their sin. It breaks the chains of death and sin over us. Hearts that were once enslaved to sin now become enslaved to Christ. Hearts that once rebelled against God now, but now turn their lives over to Christ in his goodness and experience the true freedom of following him. We join with him in recreating and reforming this world to reflect this glorious beauty of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free to no longer be enslaved anymore. And as we share the gospel with people, that's what happens. Freedom goes out to a lost and dying enslaved world. As we announce this to the gospel, People who have been enslaved all their lives are suddenly uh, set free. That's what God is inviting you to join in with him even now. To be a part of that, to declare freedom to the captives. And that freedom is beautiful. A third thing is peace. We see this in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. 
when Adam and Eve sinned, all of a sudden, peace was gone. You had a world that worked perfectly right. God and man were in perfect harmony. Man and his wife were in perfect harmony. All of a sudden, what do we see? There's no more peace. There's brokenness. There's division. There's infighting. Adam gets called out for his sin, and he says, it's your fault, God, for creating her, and it's her fault for tempting me. What a man, right? The peace that he had, the perfect union that he had with God and, and his wife is disturbed, and that peace goes on, and only in, and that, that lack of peace goes on, and it only increases over time. It doesn't take long for one brother to murder another brother, and then his descendants down the line start celebrating, if Cain has killed one, I've killed more than one. And we see this, peace, this lack of peace even today where no nation can get along with itself. No nation can get along with each other. There's broken relationships between families. There's broken relationships in friendships. There's broken relationships everywhere. We've lost the peaceful beauty and love that God had created us to be. And ultimately, we are at war with God. We do not submit to God nor obey him. We have not loved him as he, des- as he deserves to be loved. We have not worshipped him, but we have worshipped, as Romans 1 says, the creation rather than the creator. We have given up God for smaller things. But as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we go to the nations with this, we declare peace. And the peacefulness of God starts to take effect in people's lives. In Acts chapter 2, we see a beautiful picture as, as Peter's preaching. These different Jews from all around uh, the world are coming uh, to celebrate a, a festival. And they start saying, I'm hearing this preaching in my own language. This is the gift of tongues that uh, is talked about in Scripture. I'm hearing it like in my, my own language. So uh, Peter's preaching in he- Hebrew or, or Aramaic or, or maybe even Greek, but the Greek guy hears it in Greek. The Hebrew guy hears it in Hebrew. Uh, the Latin guy hears it in Latin. The Ethiopian guy hears it in Ethiopian. And, and they're, they're saying all of a sudden, uh, what's going on here? It's the very picture of the Tower of Babel becoming undone. In the Tower of Babel, the curse of man is that, is that God breaks up all these people into their different languages and confuses their language. But through the gospel and the preaching of the gospel, he takes the two men, Ephesians uh, 2, 11 through 15 says, he takes the two and makes them into what? One. The uniting power of the gospel is he takes people who come from different languages, different backgrounds, different generations, and makes them into one. And the local church is a picture of that. But we have our bigger and greater universal church where you can go across a a pond. You can go into a different nation and find people who are truly your brothers and your sisters. Because though you may have completely different backgrounds, completely different languages, all of a sudden you have one thing in common. And this is the one thing that unites us. It is that we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so as you go and you share the gospel, the peacefulness that this world so desperately needs happens over and over and over again. People that hated each other become brothers and sisters. He takes the two and makes them into one. See, we at times may not speak the same language, but we know the same God. We know the same Jesus. We have been redeemed by the same blood. We sit underneath the love and the amazingness of our God. And that's a beautiful effect of taking the gospel to the ends of the world. Another thing that's in that same verse in chapter 7 is happiness. Happiness. Isn't happiness something that we really long for but always seems to be slightly out of our reach? And then when we, we do get it, we get those moments of happiness right, we get, we get a, 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 a grasp of happiness, it, it, it doesn't last very long in our hands. You ever find that? You're really happy for a moment, and then you, you, you're like, where did that moment go? What happened to it? You woke up the next day, you're not as happy. We have an entire industry in this country that has therapists and has uh, different types of pills and drugs to make you happy. And advertising firms spend billions every year to sell you products that they say will make you happy, right? If you just wear this type of Axe um, body spray, it'll make you happy, right? And every middle school boy heard that and sprayed it on like it was going out of style. As a former youth minister, and you pray for Tim as he goes on these trips with the kids because the, the smell is awful. It is not a beautiful thing. 13-year-old boys, Axe body spray, not a good idea. But you have advertising people that, that are really good at, at, at not just saying this product is useful, right, but saying there's something missing in your life, and they're right on that. There's something missing in your life, and this thing, this thing will make you happy. This trip will make you happy. And we do the same thing with ourselves. We don't need advertisers to do that, do we? If I just had what? You ever say that to yourself? If I just had this, I would be happy. I would be happy. We have an entire social media experience going on. And we're all test subjects in that, that, that say, you can be happy if people acknowledge you more, right? Boost your followers, boost your likes. We like that, right? I don't care how old you are. That's, that's not just uh, teenagers and college students. That, that's people in their 60s and 70s. We like when, oh, they commented, right? Oh, I, I got a little ding on my phone. I got that little red dot in, on my Facebook thing. I want to check that out. Who did that? Who did that? Oh, let me follow them. Let me, uh, you know, you know it, it draws. If we could just have more, it, we are looking for happiness, and we can't find it, right? And so we've created a world of full of anxiety, and of worry. And happiness seems temporary at best. So what can make you happy? What can make you happy? Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You hear that? In the very presence of God, there is fullness of joy, not partial, fullness. And at your right hand are pleasures, not temporary, but forevermore. 
Psalm 4, 6 and 7, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when the grain and wine abound. He is pointing us to the very presence of God. There is happiness and there is joy. Only in the very presence of our Creator can true happiness and true joy be found. And we, as people who know that and have experienced that, go and tell a world that is so desperately in need of joy where it can be found. And it can't be found in any advertisement, and it can't be found in any temporary need or fixation that comes in our heart. It can only be found in the very presence of our God. And our God, in some ways, comes to make your joy full by not giving you a bunch of gifts, but by giving you something greater than all the gifts of this world, by giving you himself. The only thing that can make you happy. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity into man's heart, and the only thing that can fill an eternal void is an eternal being. And if you want to be happy now in this world, if you want to find fulfillment and joy and happiness, it can only be found by joining God in his mission. See, sometimes even as Christians, we are looking for happiness and can't find it, and God is offering it by giving us his very presence when we go on mission with him. Remember the end of Matthew 28? Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That as we join him on mission, we go closer to him. We know him more. You want joy in your life? You want happiness in your life? Then make your life about something greater than a career. Make your life greater than, than your retirement. Make your life about something greater than temporary pleasures. And make your life about making the name of the Lord known. Some of you have been on mission trips. Anybody here been on a mission trip? You can go and raise your hand. That's an actual question. Mission trip. Some of, and, and so sometimes, and I've heard this from different people that go on mission trips, right? Sometimes they come back and be like, man, you don't know how wonderful that time was, right? You know what was wonderful? It wasn't because you just got away and had a vacation. That wasn't it. It wasn't because you went to a foreign land and got to see things that you don't normally get to see, was it? It was because you had a group of people that loved the Lord and made their every waking moment for that week about the Lord. They did that, right? And there was something that united them. You felt close to them. Maybe you were strangers before you got on that plane together, but all of a sudden, your brothers and sisters, you have a deep communion together that continues when you get home. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you can have that beyond a week. You can have that in our lives, in our churches, in our families. Start making the gospel and making the gospel known and the glory of God our main ambition. Make his name known to the ends of the earth. The fifth thing, the fifth beautiful thing is salvation. You see that? In, in verse 7, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. 
See, we stand before God in judgment, and therefore we need to be saved. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. We are sinners, but Jesus gave his own life for you so that the sinner could become the saint. Your sin has been laid on the back of another, and that back has been beaten and stripped and nailed to a cross and died and has resurrected to life so that his righteousness is now given to you. The penalty that you deserved is now given to him, and his righteousness is now given to you. And this justice, this righteousness can be yours for all who would simply trust on the Lord, who would believe in his name. And we as his people must go and announce this. Notice this, we publish salvation. That's what missions is. We are publishing salvation. This is how you can be saved. This is how you can know God. Will you trust in him today? Some of you here may not have believed in him ever. Or may have think that you have believed in him. Have you trusted on the Lord? Have you believed in his name? Is he your savior? Do you realize the debt that you owe has already been paid? Do you realize that that your sins have been nailed to a cross and you bear them no more? Have you been, as the hymn said, washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Is that you? Have you been transformed by God's presence in your life? If not, if you would simply turn and trust and believe, he will transform you make you into his people and save you from your sins. God has already provided all that you need to be saved. Would you turn your life over to him today? And as people do that, we come to the sixth beautiful thing, the very reign of God. The end of verse 7. He says to Zion, your God reigns. As people believe the gospel, they become Christians. They become subjects of the king, followers of the king. We, as those subjects, now go into enemy territory and say, our God reigns. Not some God, not a God, but the one and true only God reigns over all. Would you come and submit to him? And we want to see our God reign. We know that he deserves, he deserves the great rule and reign that is due to his name. He deserves the world to be underneath his authority. We need to see that death itself is defeated and that he welcomes people into his good kingdom. Our God reigns and he will continue to reign and we can join in with him in announcing his reign to the very ends of the world. Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ, aren't we? That's who we are. We are ambassadors making his reign known to the very ends of the world. And that's why when you carry the good news, God looks at your feet and says, that is beautiful. That when you share the good news with people around the world, God sees that and acknowledges and says, that is a beautiful thing that you're doing. So therefore, 
going back to Romans chapter 10. We need to do three things. We need to go, we need to send, and we need to speak. All these beautiful things are good if someone calls on the name of the Lord, in verse 13. But as Paul says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? As we talked about a few weeks ago, there are not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, not millions, but billions of people around the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus. They do not have enough knowledge of God to save them. They cannot believe in the one whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. People will not call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And all these beautiful benefits of the gospel will not happen unless we go with the good news of the gospel. Everyone, everyone that does not hear the good news of the gospel will remain in their sin and lost and come under the very judgment of God. And so we need to go. We need to be desperate to go because they cannot believe in the gospel that they have not heard about. And our unwillingness to go means that Tens of thousands of people die every day without ever hearing the good news of Jesus. And we must go and tell them. There are beautiful things that the Lord offers them, beautiful benefits of the gospel, and they will not receive them unless we go and tell. And so the question you need to ask yourself that I've been hopefully asking you for several weeks is, will you Will you go and make the gospel known to the very ends of the earth? Not only do we need to go, we need to send. That means we need to raise up disciples of Jesus. And you know who are one of the key groups in raising up disciples of Jesus? Fathers. Dads, you are called by God to raise up disciples of Jesus. To raise up young girls and boys into men and women that love Jesus and will follow him into the ends of the earth. That is not an, uh, an easy thing to do. It is an extremely difficult thing to do. It is a hard thing to do. But that is our goal as we share the gospel with our children. Is that they would not just be saved, but be followers of Jesus. In Deuteronomy 6, we read these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's kind of the core of the Old Testament. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. He's talking to these adults. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. So talk about them in your house. When you walk by the way, and when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then verse 20 of that same chapter, we read these words. And when your son 
ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of these statutes and testimonies and rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, why do we do what we do, Dad? Why do we believe what we believe? Why do you go to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you talk to me about Jesus? Why do you do that? What, why are we different than other people? Why don't we believe the same things as the world? What is diff- why are we different? Our answer is this in verse 21. And then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And greater than Egypt, we say, I was a slave to sin and death, son. And Jesus goes away. I've been crucified with Christ. I no, lo- no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I am his. And I want you to be his. I want you to follow him. And train up the next generation to go and tell the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that may mean, that may mean, if you do this, it may mean that your sons and daughters leave and go at a young age, and they go to the ends of the earth, and you don't get to experience grandchildren. And you don't get to experience great-grandchildren. And you don't get to have them over for Christmas and Thanksgiving. And you've given them over to the Lord. Is the Lord worth it to raise up your children to be disciples of Jesus, to disciple them to go? We need to send them. And as we're sending, we need to support them financially and spiritually with encouragement. And finally, from Romans 10, we've got to speak. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Somebody has to say it. There's a old, really terrible phrase that got really popular a few years ago that says, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. That's dumb. It sounds kind of cool, you know, like, oh yeah, I'll just share the gospel. Nobody will believe the gospel that they have not heard. You cannot be a good enough person that people will say, oh yeah, Jesus saves, you know. You actually have to speak the good news of the gospel. Yes, your life should reflect the transformation of the gospel in your life. You should live differently. That is absolutely true. But you should confirm your words by your life. But words have to come out of your mouth. There are people around you that need the gospel. There are neighbors and there are nations that need somebody to go and tell them the good news. We cannot simply sit and not go. We must be those who go and speak. And I know evangelism is scary. Almost everyone in this room is intimidated by that word evangelism. You are not alone in that. I don't know why it's so hard. I don't know why it is for us that it, it is difficult, but it is. Sometimes you feel unqualified. Sometimes you feel like you'll mess it up. Sometimes you don't know if you know what to say. Sometimes you don't know if your life is good enough to reflect the good news of the gospel. You have all these fears that go through. 
you and it calls you to stumble when you get the opportunities and be quiet when you know you should speak. I know those fears are there for you because they are there for me as well. that God can overcome any of our fears is you will find that if you would simply share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, people will be transformed. Neighbors and nations will come to believe and receive the beautiful benefits of the gospel. There's nothing in this world that's more beautiful than joining God in his mission to the ends of the earth. We are God's people. We have experienced the beauty of his love and the beauty of his salvation. And we are to carry that good news to the very ends of the earth. You and I are called to do that, if not somebody else. When we hear the call, who will go? We are supposed to respond like Isaiah did. Here am I, send me. Wherever. The blank check, right? Give God the blank check and say, wherever, whenever, however, I'm yours. I will follow you. Send me. God is remaking this world into something beautiful that will glorify his name. And and we will get to see that. And he is sending his church, his people to the very ends of the earth with the gospel. And so let us put on the good news of the gospel on our feet the message of salvation, and let this world know our God saves. Thank you for joining us in our podcast today. To find out more about Fellowship Baptist Church, simply go to fellowshiplexington.com or join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1030 if you're ever in the Lexington, South Carolina area. Fellowship Baptist Church exists to gather, grow, give, and go for the glory of God.